Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. This episode is brought to you by my course, Rest Assured. If you've been struggling with falling asleep, or staying asleep, or just not waking up feeling well-rested, you've come to the right place. Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia, or CBTI, is the gold standard intervention in the management of insomnia. Rest Assured is a digital course that walks you through CBTI, step-by-step, with everything you need to succeed. Each of the six weekly modules guides you through some important background information for the different techniques, explores the evidence-based techniques in detail, provides multiple examples of exercises so you can find the one that works for you, and reviews the work you've completed since the last module. And rest assured, it's just not another DIY left to your own devices, but rather, you get direct access to me, a board-certified sleep physician in twice-monthly office hours, where you can ask me face-to-face any questions you may have about the course material. So check out www.wellrestedmd.com slash RA to learn more. That's wellrestedmd.com slash RA. Or just head to the homepage and click on courses to learn more. Enjoy the episode. Hey friends and neighbors, you're listening to the Well Rested Podcast, episode number 31, Unwind. I'm your host, Dr. Joshua Lennon. Being told to calm down when you're in the heat of the moment is like adding gasoline to a fire. How do you avoid the same pitfall when trying to relax when you're too agitated to fall asleep? In this week's episode, I'll discuss some methods to unwind from the go-go-go of the day and the transition to sleep. You all know from experience, and you've heard me say many times before, that it is hard to sleep when you are aroused about anything. Physically, cognitively, emotionally, it is hard to fall asleep when you just ran up a flight of stairs. It is hard to fall asleep when you've just figured out how to resolve your hero's character arc in the novel you're writing. It is hard to fall asleep when you've just submitted an offer on your dream house and you haven't heard back yet from the realtor. And it is hard to fall asleep when you're seething with anger about getting laid off and simultaneously terrified about how you can provide the Christmas your kids are expecting now that you're jobless. It is easy to get worked up from how we move to how we think and how we feel. And the more at work your mind is, the harder it will be to sleep. You can't anticipate the precise moment when anger or anxiety or excitement or inspiration will strike. So how are you supposed to deal? Again, we come back to the notion of habit. If you've got your hands held tight on the handlebars headed to your desired destination, a strong wind here or a pothole to avoid there won't knock you off course nearly as easily as when your eyes are squeezed closed hands raised in the air, hoping that somehow your bike will still end up where you desire, come what may. My youngest daughter, who's not even a year and a half right now, has this new habit of walking around with her eyes squeezed closed. Like she'll see the fridge, then close her eyes while heading towards it. I'm not sure what she's trying to figure out. Like, does it hurt less when walking face first into something, like a surprise? Or trying to hone her other senses, like Marvel's Daredevil. Is both hilarious and nerve-wracking to watch. But if you're a normal human, unlike my proto-human daughter, chances are you don't literally blindly stumble through the rest of your life. So if we apply the same principles of habit, routine, and essentially preparation, then bumps in the road of life are more easily manageable. They absolutely still happen and still demand attention, but not nearly as much of a diversion as they would be is when you wander through life with your eyes closed. And just like a plane doesn't suddenly take a nosedive to the ground once it's above the destination airfield, but rather follows a flight path of gradual descent and turns to transition from flying at 15,000 feet and 500 miles an hour 
to landing on the runway at sea level and coming to a complete stop. And when there's turbulence or traffic congestion or one runway out of commission because of icing or construction or whatever, the pilot doesn't throw out the protocol, but just amends it. You circle around a little bit more in a holding pattern until they're ready for final approach on the ground. Your flight path, your descent from the atmosphere of wake to the runway taxiway terminal of sleep can be just as easy, reasonable, and flexible. No need for nosedives. Physical activity winding down is simpler to achieve. Most people will naturally find themselves relaxed and unwinding after a day at work. But those working from home, or those who have to do the work of maintaining the home, this transition isn't quite as easy as pulling into the driveway, grabbing a drink, and kicking your feet up in front of the TV. The key here is not to get too physically active in the immediate time before sleep. As discussed much more extensively in episode 6, physical activity is a literal lifesaver, with only 30 minutes a day of moderate activity enough to dramatically reduce mortality rates. Physical activity in any form, going to the gym, jogging, running, swimming, rock climbing, Pilates, team sports, solo sports like skating or gymnastics, whatever floats your boat, do it. This may take some experimentation. If running the mile in gym class felt like torture, there are plenty of alternative ways to get active. So experiment and find what works best for you. Regular physical activity is one of the best ways to improve and maintain mental health. Regular exercise is also a rocket fuel for high-quality sleep. You've heard me talk repeatedly about adenosine, one of the chemicals in your brain that is cranked up from increased physical activity, which directly translates into pushing the brain into more high-quality, slow-wave sleep, the third stage of non-REM sleep. The more the exercise, the better the quality of sleep, and the more rested you feel the next day. But timing here is also important. Physical activity affects your internal clock. It can pull or push you in either direction, delaying or advancing your internal clock depending on when you exercise. Some emerging data points to a possible direct mechanism of something called brain-derived growth factor being released by active muscle tissue, traveling to the brain, and then influencing the timekeeper genes in the brain's master clock. For the most part, earlier in the day exercise helps to minimally advance your internal clock earlier, canceling out the small delay the average person has in their clock, with our clocks averaging about 12 minutes or so longer than the 24-hour clock day. We need a little advancement every day to keep our internal clocks to stay synchronized with our external clocks. Exercise later in the afternoons appears to have a small push of the internal clock a little later, which may compound with other factors to make it harder and harder to fall asleep at your regular time and easier to sleep in later past your regular wake time. The bigger issue with exercise timing really seems to be temperature. When you are more physically active, your body creates more heat. And recall from episode 3 that we actually need to drop our core body temperature as we sleep, reaching its lowest point, give or take, halfway through the sleep period, before climbing back up to the daytime average by a wake-up time. So the hotter the body is before bed, the larger the hurdle to cool down enough which both helps you fall asleep and achieve that higher-quality, slow-wave deep sleep. When you achieve your daily physical activity closer to sleep time, sleep onset and sleep quality can both suffer. The rule of thumb is four hours, but there are almost certainly a wide range of acceptable timing. Just note that in the couple hours before you intend on starting your sleep, physical activity should be winding down. And if you can only hit the gym after work before dinner, you still have plenty of time. But trying to use the elliptical at 9pm and expect high quality sleep at 10pm, you're going to be sorely disappointed. So after dinner, 
Just be mindful of your activity level. Of course, you don't have to be a sloth and avoid all movement, but keep this in mind when getting some playtime in with the kids. For all of you, parent and child alike, the more vigorous the play, the longer the sleep delay. But lighter activity like carrying laundry baskets, tidying up, hiking up and down the stairs, getting the kids to bed, these are unlikely to significantly derail your upcoming sleep. Just keep that flight path in mind. If you're at 15,000 feet at 7 p.m., how can you gradually descend your physical activity altitude on the way to bed? Cognitive and emotional activity can trigger and maintain mind racing, which can be tricky to deal with. There are certainly a few things that can help on a regular basis or just when your mind is really running amok. With the same flight path mentality, how can you gradually descend from the go-go-go of the day to the restful calm of sleep? It's probably a lot easier to accomplish at a pace over an hour or so versus waiting till you're in bed. One way to more swiftly accomplish this mental unwinding is to funnel that mental energy. A simple and effective way to do this is by writing. Whether it is writing events of the day, a to-do list for tomorrow or upcoming days, or a total brain dump, putting pen to paper can accomplish something magical. And there's something more concrete about using your own hand holding an object and making marks on a page that is more effective and therapeutic than typing with your thumbs into the notes function on your phone, let alone the problem of the light. See episodes 4 and 12 for a refresher. To get specific, an easy routine writing habit is a to-do list. This might be a tally of all you accomplished from the day. Every bit counts, whether it's flossing, successfully getting the kids to school on time, how many loads of laundry were done, getting your email inbox zeroed out again, refraining from making snarky comments during yet another pointless Zoom meeting, doesn't matter. Focusing on recent accomplishments is also more rewarding than focusing on everything you didn't do. That list is never-ending. So only writing what you did do helps to balance the mental scales. Writing a to-do list for upcoming days can also be helpful. Whether it is just a bullet list or a time-specific list of when certain tasks are due and in what order, or just a reminder of some things you do every Wednesday, whether it's food prep or toilet cleaning on the chores list, or a reminder about getting a birthday gift for Timmy's BFF, or an annual doctor's appointment. Stuff you know you'll never forget and stuff you think you might. By narrowing your focus to these upcoming expected events, you start to weed out the party crasher thoughts that may creep in otherwise and sully your mental garden. Another great nightly habit, as discussed in episode 17, is gratitude. Writing down, with your own hand, one to three things that you are thankful for. It doesn't have to be something that happened that day. It doesn't have to be directed at a person. You can be grateful for a roof over your head. Or running water or grateful that the Wi-Fi only crashed once today, despite three kids on Zoom school. You can be grateful for health. No matter what health struggles you are having, if you can hear this, clearly you are alive and something is working. If you are a COVID long hauler, you can be grateful that you were spared this struggle of fatigue and brain fog your whole life until now, because it sucks. If your kidneys are failing and your 11-drug regimen is difficult to tolerate, and you're afraid the cancer might come back, you can be grateful for all the minutes and hours of your life that modern medicine has made possible that no one had the opportunity for just a few decades ago. Or you've been grateful for lungs that still hold breath, for arms that still reach, for eyes that can still see your loved ones, for ears that can still hear your favorite song. When the world feels like it is falling apart, there is always something to be grateful for. 
and that gratitude practice has been shown to improve depression, improve anxiety, improve emotional control overall, improve chronic pain, improve your physiology with better blood pressure, overall well-being, quality of life, and life satisfaction, all by doing nothing except writing down at least one thing you are thankful for. That is a very powerful attitude. Another more as-needed writing exercise to funnel mental activity before sleep is known as a brain dump. This can literally just be your written form of your train of thought. Whatever pops up, no filter. No evaluation or judgment, just whatever comes next. Sometimes just the act of writing, which is incredibly slower than how fast your brain can process information, is enough to slow down your speeding thoughts, slow down the mind racing to a mind jaunt, a mind saunter, or a mind stroll. And that small reduction in agitation is wonderful to experience. Sometimes these written trains of thought follow one topic that you really can't get off your mind. Sometimes just the act of writing it out by literally getting it out of your thoughts and onto the page can be enough to provide relief. Sometimes it's about a tough decision. And even though you've been holding formal debates in your head for days, writing down a pros and cons list can make something click. Sometimes these brain dumps are ripe for a little assessment. Thought records from a brain dump are great targets to evaluate your common or even automatic thoughts. For example, let's take a common thought of, I'm never going to get to sleep. And whatever your automatic thought is, whether it has anything to do with your sleep or not, doesn't matter. But for this example, you see on the page, written in your own hand, the words, I'm never going to get to sleep. One thing you can do is to next write down how that statement makes you feel. Enraged? Pitiful? Hopeless? Foolish? You can just write whatever emotions bubble up when reading that statement. Next, you can rate how strongly you believe that statement, such as 1, not at all, to 10, with full, unerring conviction. Next, pretend you're a defense lawyer. Is there any evidence that such a statement may not be true? What evidence do you have that it is true, and how else may that evidence be interpreted? Beyond a reasonable doubt? Next, what evidence do you have to the contrary? For instance, if you had that thought about never getting to sleep four times last week, but you actually slept at least some each of the seven nights last week, then clearly this statement wasn't all you cracked it up to be. Nostradamus, you are not. Now, like a good defense attorney, can you make a convincing closing argument about that initial statement? So next, now having gone through a little scrutiny of this automatic negative thought, how does that statement make you feel at this time? Still enraged, or pitiful, or hopeless, or foolish, or something different? And having scrutinized the validity of the statement, now how strongly do you believe the statement? From one, not at all, to ten, with full unerring conviction. Did your attitude and your belief in that automatic statement change once you shed a little light on it? The point here is not to convince yourself to make a 180-degree flip of every thought you ever have, and it's not meant to provide fuel for your self-critic as evidence of your rash, irresponsible initial utterance. First of all, remember, nobody's perfect. We all have automatic thoughts, some negative, some boastful, some antisocial, some racist, some agoraphobic, some comical, some frightening. Keep in mind that you are not your thoughts. You have no obligation to fuse your identity with whatever pops into your noggin on its own. Thoughts are just thoughts. What this kind of exercise does is to help provide some distance between who you are as a person 
and these automatic thoughts. That when brought to light, with the slightest bit of evaluation, that these negative thoughts are not gospel. Maybe they are in essence indicating something real and important, but verbatim are exaggerated. Maybe they are rooted in truth, but emotionally overlain and judgmental. And maybe they really are true, and you actually underestimated how important they really are. The exercise provides an opportunity to step back, take a moment, appreciate that thinking fast system one is trying to tell you something important, but you don't have to accept the message as is, as unerring conviction, that you are not your thoughts. And that if a friend or loved one uttered those same words, how would you feel? Would you berate them, chide them for such evil, scandalous, false-laden, sinful thoughts? Or would you be compassionate, reinforce that you don't judge the ones you love by the worst thing they ever thought? So to summarize, there is a lot to unpack here, and a lot more to discuss in upcoming episodes. But if you find yourself too wound up in bed to fall asleep, then some unwinding is in order. Some of this unwinding is just a natural part of the end of the day. Sun sets and it gets darker. You've been awake all day and fatigue levels are growing. Your patience and energy levels are dipping. So if you've been awake consecutively all day long, then physically you're in much better place to get to sleep soon. But there may be rush hour congestion of thoughts in that big old brain of yours. And that's okay. That's what minds do. They think. But if that overthinking is going to interfere with your ability to catch some Z's tonight, let's set it on a glide path to land safely, calmly, and without judgment. And the more this mental calming is done, the more automatic and habitual it becomes to the point where it actually, hopefully, seems entirely unnecessary. Wouldn't that be nice? You can start by just writing down whatever is on your mind. A total brain dump. You can critically assess your racing mind by challenging some of these automatic negative thoughts and seeing if they actually stand up to the scrutiny. You can jot down one to three things you are grateful for. Writing is slower than thinking, and thus applies the brakes to your thinking as you try to capture your thoughts on the page. That is an excellent way to get that mental activity on the glide path in the final descent towards the runway. I've got a little handout for you, so if you head over to wellrestedmd.com day, you can get a free cheat sheet to a day in the life of the well-rested, including some specific best practices to get that good snooze. That's wellrestedmd.com D-A-Y. Be sure to hit subscribe in your favorite podcast player to get all the latest episodes. Leave us a review and head over to wellrestedmd.com for more information. Thanks for listening.